tuning in to this podcast is a bad idea. Your one-stop shop for pop culture quirks. I'm Fru, he's Murph. Every episode we have a new selection of goodies to discuss. Today's main topic is going to be web indie cartoon pilots. So what's your podcast about? You're listening to This is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. And here we are with episode 11 of this podcast is a bad idea. It is autumn once again. Murph, what have you been up to? I have been up into various and sundry things. We're going to talk about here in the first segment of our show called The Decompress. Actually going to remember to uh, plug that in this time. Yes. Decompression time. Uh, I have been... I don't know if I brought this up prior, but I, I got I was one of the people that got into baking over lockdown. Yes, yes. And so I'm always uh I like baking because it's basically like it's cooking yeah. you have to like feel with your soul most of the time. Yes. Baking is just alchemy. Yes. It's just math. <laughs> so it's easy for me. And then you can eat it. Yes. Uh, but I've, I've really gotten into sort of recipes that break the rules of baking. I'm a big fan of B. Dylan Hollis. Yes. On the YouTubes and oh, the, the TikToks. Precious me. Um, I just I just got his cookbook. But uh, he had a recipe for a Thanksgiving staple <gasps> that I really wanted to try. I was wondering. I wanted to try the secret cornbread. <gasps> okay. Now... Did you, 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 have you seen this one? It's a yes. three, three ingredient cornbread with a crazy third ingredient. I was wondering if this is good. So what it is, is it's three eggs, mm-hmm. two boxes of Jiffy cornbread mix. The goat. And then an entire jar of cheese Whiz. Yes. And you mix that together and you bake at 375 for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you. This cornbread is dangerously good. Oh my god. Yes. Have you ever wanted something with the texture, the light, crumbly, buttery texture of cornbread, but the faint taste of a Stouffer's mac and cheese? Oh my god. That sounds incredible. And like, on paper, the science makes sense. You have you have carbonation. You have, like, bicarbonate. It's in the soda. <laughs> Technically, technically, Jiffy cornbread makes like on the box, it just says add eggs and milk. Yeah, like that's all it takes. And technically, Cheese Whiz is a dairy product, so you can sub it in for milk. Yeah, you could use like literally one of the things you learn about baking is any milk based product can be used in place of mil- milk. Yes. Um, But you're going to think because you have to warm up the Cheese Whiz in the jar so it's pourable. And when you warm it up in the microwave, it is going to be smell so damn cheesy. <laughs> and when it's baking, it smells so damn cheesy. So you're going to bite into this thinking like, oh, this is like biting into a block of cheddar. And then but no, the cheese taste is very faint. Ooh. It's just it comes up on you. It's an aftertaste more than anything. But you get the sweetness of the cornbread and then the cheese slides in. Ooh. And it's like, ooh, ooh, I like the taste of that. And you can fry it. 
You can do it with some eggs and ham, and it tastes delicious. Oh, man. I served it to various family members, and they all said, oh, this tastes great. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you want me to serve it at Thanksgiving? (gasps) I'm not telling you what's in the recipe, because when I do, you're going to be like, what? It's a secret. (laughs) It's secret cornbread. It's secret cornbread. (laughs) If I wasn't already committing myself to making corn pudding this year, I would absolutely be making secret cornbread. I love recipes that are like $5 raw ingredients. You've now fed yourself for three days. Yes, those are the best. I'm also a big fan of like Hoover's stew. Oh, yeah. You just just get some some cheap hot dogs, some cheap macaroni and some other stuff. And you just stew that all together. And you know what? Mm -hmm. You've got you've got your week sorted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the best part about cooking. But what have you been doing in these autumn days, these halcyon days of the <laughs> of the time before Thanksgiving? Well, I have I, I was trying to figure out how to tell this story and still maintain my uh McGruff the crime dog internet safety. <laughs> because Okay. With my work now, I'm very close in proximity again to wonderful community activities like school plays. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, man, yeah, I'm going to go see the school play. That's going to be so fun. You know, other like I had coworkers that were going. I brought my partner with me. When I tell you, I was blown away by this high school play. (laughs) Are we getting another fruit talks about community theater? A little bit. A little bit because it's like, okay, okay I'm on the web portal for school buying tickets okay. and I'm looking at the rows and it says orchestra pit. And I'm like, okay, so I'll be like off to the side over here. And I just assume that this is just a built in part of the performing arts building. Yeah. I walk in to get my seat and lo and behold, orchestra's there in the pit oh yeah <laughs> full my or- school had an orchestra pit but like yeah in orchestras there they have a full string section they have horns they have brass they have woodwinds it's a full on they have a drum set <laughs> they had a standing bass okay <laughs> and when i'm right. like peak real quick during intermission there's like a full tech crew up there in <laughs> Up there in, like, the raven's nest, it was crazy because they have, like, they have multiple wings going back on the stage. They have fly-ins. They have slides. This is a very uh, classic musical that I was not expecting to be produced on this scale because you hear it. Again, how do I say this without... It involves paper boys. (laughs) Ah, okay. And for everyone who knows, you immediately know. Maybe sort of seizing the day. Yeah, yeah, something, something a little bit of, a little bit of carpe diem. That's a very choreography-heavy musical. How is their choreography? You have the one girl who could do plies. You have the one girl who could do back handsprings. They pull out the taps. Separate girls. Different girls. They have the jazz shoes. They pull out the tap shoes for a whole number, and that was like. Seven people in tap shoes. Ooh. They, they've been cooking since August. <laughs> okay, okay. How was the theater kid energy? Intense. Intense. Okay. Like, this is one of those things where I can tell this is so near and dear to every senior on that stage. 
and like all the mm. freshmen who came in at the beginning of the year were just thrown into the ensemble. Yeah, <laughs> I th- high school theater is where where you can really like. Sometimes there's there's the show, but then there's like the show behind the show that is apparent within the show. Yes. Like, you know, the side character comes in and they are trying really hard because they want the lead next year. I will say, you know, this show has a romance in the leads. Yes. This was the most professional. (laughs) Like, there's no romance. (laughs) Like, you look at these kids Sometimes you watch school plays and you're like, there's something funny going on behind the scenes. I looked at these Mm -hmm. kids and I'm like, they do not talk outside of drama class. (laughs) (laughs) They are friends here and like co-workers. It wasn't wasn't Brian D. and Jenny Matrix. No, like they did like the really classy like, oh, I look like I'm cupping your face, but my hands actually like over your mouth. So we're not even, we're not even smooching. Yeah. Yeah. Just every kiss was like that. It was like every time they locked eyes, they're just like, we are friends and co worker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was great. <laughs> just, again, astoundingly like good. I always felt that if I was a drama teacher, I would maybe intentionally avoid plays with heavy romance themes because some some students just ain't ready for that. Nope. You know, some of them aren't. It's very hard to portray, like I don't know, a character who's like, oh, I'm I'm never gonna fall in love, and then spoiler, he falls in love. Oops. If you haven't fallen in love for like the first time, yes, even yes, you know. <laughs> so all they can really do is replicate what they've seen in movies, and sometimes it comes on too strong. Yeah, it, yes, that's also true. I also typically think like. As a drama teacher, I'm almost a little reticent to do accent work. Mm, yeah. Um, my high school, before I went there, my school did uh, Pygmalion. Ooh. And that's a that's basically My Fair Lady before My Fair Lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Fair Lady is the musical version of Pygmalion. Let's put okay. it like that. Um, and, you know, naturally, that is very much about accent work. It's about the Cockney accent and... My drama teacher told me, like, I made those kids, like, sit and watch, like, uh, I had tapes, like, actual VHS tapes about, like, here's how your mouth is shaped when you make this sound. Here is how it should sound. Like, we need to do this right. Doing the Um, work. When I did, at that school, we did uh, Picasso at Lapina Gilles, which is a play by Steve Martin. Oh, my God. Uh, It's a, it's, like, set... At a bar right outside the Eiffel Tower, a real bar, and it's about a theoretical meeting between Pablo Picasso and Albert Einstein. Mm-hmm. And I was Einstein. And I said, like, should I try a German accent? And she's told me, no, absolutely not. We're not bothering with that. <laughs> no one to call the shots. That's a good teacher. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but that was that was me. I rode that high, and I, like, immediately went to the kids that I do work with and I'm like I saw the school play this week and none of the boys cared and all of the girls were like I want to see it so bad <laughs> but that's that's me that's what I've been sending my 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 cozy autumn days with well, I think if we're feeling pretty decompressed I think so we're gonna move on to the next segment which is the show and tell mm-hmm. show and tell time 
So for this segment, Fru and I have gone out into the wilds of the internet, and we have brought back something, something secret, perhaps something blasphemous, perhaps something a little ridiculous, to expose to the other sight unseen. Yes. And get the raw human reaction. Yes. Yes. So I have something a bit long and wordy and a little bit niche uh, for my show and tell. What, what, what do you have? Mine is a little involved and possibly upsetting, <laughs> depending on how you feel about it. Okay. So um, is, who's, who's is more, what, what note do you want to leave off on? <laughs> you can go first. There we go. I was going to say, how's your relationship with Harry Potter? Oh, I know. I know. Okay. So as usual, this all started with a TikTok. I'm going to send it to you. As usual, as is typical. As is typical. I have sent Murph the TikTok. This one isn't even crazy. This one's actually more than anything, just impressive. Okay. So we've got someone doing book binding. Yes. By hand. Mm-hmm. And it's very impressive. Dog. This is OP's first ever oh. book binding. I'm happy to own a physical copy of Manacled. Yes. What is Manacled, Fru? Manacled is a <sighs> And then I should and then I send you this link because I was also very very interested in what that was. I was like, oh, I've seen people bookbinding fan fictions before. I think that's really sweet. Yeah, um, I like that. I like it when people do like physical copies of fan fiction. Like that's just that's just neat. That's very yes. that's very punk rock of them. It really is. And I'm sending Murph the AO3 link to Manacold. Um, you can see all of the collections it's been added to. This is manacled by user SenLinYu on AO3, Archive of Our Own. The summary is, quote, Harry Potter is dead. In the aftermath of the war, in order to strengthen the might of the magical world, Voldemort enacts a repopulation effort. Hermione Granger has an order secret, lost but hidden in her mind, so she is sent as an enslaved surrogate to the High Reeve until her mind can be cracked. These tags get worse as they go on. Yes, they do. So this has been translated into more than 10 different languages. This is 77 chapters, 370,000 words. Yes, yes. Let me do a vibe check real quick. Let me just do a vibe check real quick. Hold on. What, Can I do a vibe check real what quick? What constitutes the vibe uh, check? Moby Dick has 2009, uh, 209,000 words. <laughs> so this is Longer. nearly double a Moby Dick. Yes. So It's a Moby Dick and a half. Here's the warning at the beginning of chapter one. This work is dark. Rape and non-consensual sex are a significant and ongoing aspect of the plot. There are also character deaths, psychological trauma, descriptions of battlefield violence, and references to torture. Reader discretion is advised. Author's note, the characters in this story are not mine. They belong to J.K. Rowling, who I happen to not be. The initial inspiration of the plot occurred when watching the first episode of The Handmaid's Tale. 
In homage, there are elements of it maintained throughout the story. The title High Reeve was drawn from user Lady of Clune's use of use in her story Uncoffined. The story vi- diverges from canon following the conclusion of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. So. I Fru, I don't know how to communicate this, but we're in a bad place. <laughs> hold on, this... hold on. Hold on. <laughs> We're not done. <laughs> because you're saying all this yes. premise-wise. And, you know, okay, you know, I can, I'm not totally heartless. I will allow people to indulge in Harry Potter to a degree, you know, in these modern times. Yes. Uh, J.K. Rowling is a massive turf slash potential fascist. Yes. Um, you know, and then you're throwing in, what if Harry Potter but Handmaid's Tale? And then I'm also still trying to process this TikTok which is, at last, I have a physical copy this of Manacle. This is Book Talk's baby right now. Because this is a champion of the dark romance subgenre. And a good example of the current state of romanticy, which is romance stories with fantasy elements. So it's not a... I mean, back in the day, we called these bodice rippers. Right. Right. And that's also but what I thought is, of this... as well. This is non-consensual bodice rape. So the way that I've been explaining this, like the first thing I said to my partner was, what if Handmaid's Tale was also a slow burn angsty romance? Between who and whom? Which is your favorite ship in Harry Potter? I, I guess Harry and Ginny. Fair. This is Dramione. Okay, so people do... People do like the the enemies to lovers they do. concept. They do. People, people love... D- dudes specifically and always dudes getting de-racist like, like i always even in like book two harry potter chamber of secrets i was like okay hermione and ron are gonna wind up together because that's just the trope that is the, the characters trope. that hate each other in, in book one wind up together by book seven so taking that to the logical extreme of draco and hermione winding up together and this is not yes. a, a new thing like in in this fandom like you know the avatar fandom love zuko and katara hooking up it doesn't help that story tom and emma have hinted at so tom felton and emma watson have hinted at having had maybe brief feelings for each other while filming the movies yes and that fuels this ship so hard and i have i noticed a weird pattern when reading through all the reviews on TikTok and everything, because everyone that I do see, like the rabid fans are like, everyone needs to read this. Everyone needs to read this story. This story ruined me for months. This story has haunted me for years. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever read. Um, and they've all read it from beginning to end, all 370,000 words. In days. So okay. that romance does burn rather slowly, my lord. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to say is that it says that the the the, the process, like the Handmaid's Tale set dressing, which by the way, I do have personal feelings about the idea of taking a story about fascism and women's agency and then applying a romance element to it. I find that like People try to say that this isn't a romance story, but so many more people say it is. 
Yeah. And so it's like, but I she mean, literally has the uniform. Romance. She literally Sorry, gets... it's tagged eventual romance. Yes. She she literally gets the uniform. The red dress and the white bonnet. Also, she does have manacles that literally limit her magic usage. So she can't use magic. She can't pick up wands. She can't, like, do wandless magic. They imbue suggestion into her to make her subservient. It's all horrific. It's terrifying. It's... It also, her mm-hmm. new manacles do say property of the High Reeve, and I honestly laughed, and I shouldn't have laughed. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Voldemort wins the war and then forces all of his followers to get married in arranged marriages, and then none of them are producing babies, and he's like, ah, shit, okay, need to rethink this. How about we take all the women that we imprisoned and force them into a repopulation program? And... Hermione gets magicked away to a mansion that is dark and sterile, and then up the stairs she hears the words, Hello, Mudblood. You're making a and face. A romance blossoms from there. So here's the thing. <laughs> I am... Uh, uh, how do I want to phrase Separate from my own feelings on the topic. Yes. Now, you, the listener, may be hearing this and thinking, this is this is vile. This is a vile premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are the kids getting up to? And... To that, I would say, like, you know, really go back and look at some, like, long-ass novels from, like, the early 1900s, 1800s. Yeah. People have been doing weird, fucked-up romances for a while. Yes. I can't count the number of times I've, like, heard someone mention, like, oh my god, this this novel from the 1800s is so beautiful and romantic and deep and speaks to the complexity of the mortal soul and i'll like look up the plot and it's always like oops the woman i married turned out to be my long lost sister yeah <laughs> you know that happens a lot yes a lot yes dear listener so and that's a terrific point dark weird fucked up premise romances not a th- new thing to the world of human literature. But I did stop reading this week and I had to take a, a I had to take a break, indefinite break because um and I'm so glad someone on okay, so someone on Reddit r slash HP Harry Potter fan fiction did write a review and they also took umbrage ha, with the same passage that I did. It was one passage specifically. This is like two days after Hermione's service. Service has begun. Good, big, big, bold, scary red quotations around service. Yes. So this is like two days after it's begun. And she's looking at Draco and the, the passages. His face had lost every trace of boyishness. It was cruelly beautiful. His sharp, aristocratic features set in a hard, unyielding expression. His gray eyes were like knives. His hair still that pale, white blonde combed carelessly aside. He looked, every inch of him, like an indolent English lord, except for the almost inhuman coldness. If an assassin's blade were made into a man, it would take the form of Draco Malfoy. She stared at him, taking him in beautiful and damned a fallen angel or perhaps the angel of death but he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined but now he's dear and so unsure i wonder why i didn't see it there before 
This is literally two days into Hermione's forced service. And, like, she's been systematically stripped of all her power and agency. And she looks at this man who was mean to her all her, like, all the time she's known him. And is like, Mm -hmm. but hear me out. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just, I had to take a good hard think and just stop. And even this reviewer is like, that is garbage. It gets so much better after that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this is for me. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think this is for me, fam. I, this ain't doing it. <laughs> People do love a hot boy villain. They really the do. The issue is, is that a lot of our hot boy villains in fiction are, um, fascists. Yeah. Yeah. Or. For lack of a better phrasing. Yeah. So. The romance has to either involve the the subject of romance to the hot boy villain um, converting to fascism, whatever that form that takes in that world, or uh, de-fascizing them, which is, you know, depends on how well it's written and presented. Mm-hmm. I see this is tagged with a happy ending. I don't know what form that takes. Does Voldemort lose? Does... I don't know. I I haven't looked that far because again, I stopped reading really early yeah. on. But oh gosh, it's just And so people are making like like I'm seeing all the tags here, all the reviews. This is getting good reviews. This is like the third most viewed fan fiction on AO3. And it's not the first time this has happened, right? Mm-hmm. Because like Fifty Shades of Grey started as what, like a Twilight fanfic? The movie after that came out a few years ago was One Direction fanfiction. Oh, the thing I forgot to mention was that Hermione... So in the time between Hermione getting sentenced and then like her, the, the Battle of Hogwarts, not even the Battle of Hogwarts, but like the ending of the Order of the Phoenix, um, she's kept in a cell with no light for 16 months. And someone is feeding her, but at random times. So she can't even, like, figure out what time it is or how many days have passed. She finds out after the fact that it's been 16 months. And so, like, they give her, like, this little, like, Sarah Connor moment where she's like, I'm crazy and desensitized and (laughs) she's feral. Like, she actively goes through multiple panic attacks in the first chapters because she doesn't know what to do now that she's in Draco's house with having room to walk and freedom to walk around. And is it well written? That's the thing. There's so much promise in what I've read already, but there's choices that maybe it's just, maybe it just means that dark romance and everything about it isn't for me, which is weird because I've written and read multiple dark romances. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but this is like, all of Hermione's friends have died horrible, gruesome deaths that she mm-hmm. has witnessed. And everything's written in horrific details. Like, trigger warning, this is gruesome. You can skip ahead a few seconds. Harry's body is like hung from the astronomy tower and left to rot for everyone to watch. And every death is like this. <laughs> everyone who's ever mentioned being killed is like this. So, 
Hmm. So it's like I don't know what to do with these with these thoughts and feelings you have given me. It's so troubling. It's capably written. There's some weird things where it's like I don't know if that's how you use m dashes. Maybe I would have <laughs> maybe I would have put like some ellipses in here or some italics in here. Like maybe I would have like sh- shifted it a little bit to make the writing look more dynamic as you're writing it. That's neither here nor there. This is. Here's the weird thing that I noticed while reading through all these reviews is that um, there's a line often quoted. This is my first ever fan fiction. This Uh... is my first fan fiction I've ever read. I didn't know what fan fiction was. I've never read fan fiction before. I've never been interested in fan fiction before. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of this is some of the... Is a in it's not every single person, but it's a mm-hmm. good chunk of people saying I've never read fan fiction before, but I read Manacled and I adored it. In the the classic directed by Madonna movie Filth and Wisdom, <laughs> it opens with a quote by the lead singer of Golgol Bordello, mm-hmm. where he says. If if people seek two things in life, they seek filth and wisdom. And if you have only known wisdom and sainthood all your life, when the filth appears to you, it will appear like a beautiful oasis in the desert of purity. And you will become obsessed with that. (laughs) And I think that is sometimes people's reactions to sort of literature and media that goes very against what they have always known in their life. I have always said people get mildly obsessed with the first thing they see that does like a trope they have never seen before. It's a ton of that. And I also think it is if you've never read fan content in your life, but you like books recommended by book talk, you like dark romance, you like big, strong alpha males who would kill people for you. Mm-hmm. And that happens, but in Harry Potter with Draco and Hermione, like that yeah. is like, oh, it's like a sugar rush to the brain mm-hmm. if you've never taken in fan content before. And, and the thing that kills me is that the other part that I'm seeing of comments is, I like this, but if it was an original story, I'd like it more. And I'm like, baby, you are two steps away from The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Yeah. So do you think, because I believe the term is filing off the serial numbers Mm -hmm. for when fanfic content sort of de-fanfics itself and becomes an original work. Mm -hmm. That's what happened with Fifty Shades. Right. And it happens way more frequently than you think it does. Yes, it does. Like Amazon, like the Amazon like store for books is basically filled with books like these. Yes. And they get good reviews and they, people make money. Yes. Um, so do you see that happening with this? I'm going to say no, because the regime change, the Battle of Hogwarts is so entrenched in the story. It shapes everything. It's lying under everything. So in order to file off those serial numbers of here is a people who <laughs> just mass genocide... <laughs> Mm -hmm. like that's the framing work of this romance and 
I don't think you can file off those serial numbers. It's too ingrained in the text. Especially, like, because it is magic, it is everything, like... I'm just going to say the worst thing that I wrote in here. (laughs) I have one note, and it just says, Lubrication charm. (laughs) That sentence was a sour lemon to my mind. I'm scrunching. (laughs) My other favorite part was, like, in the five minutes that Hermione meets Draco's wife, she's like, Mm. Malfoy and Astoria clearly disliked each other. And I'm like... She didn't consent to her husband being assigned a sex slave. (laughs) I would be upset too. (laughs) But it's like justifying them falling in love with each other. There's some great bones in this story. There really are. I just don't think it's for me. And I don't want to yuck people's yum. (laughs) Yeah, I... I cannot find it in my heart to pass judgment either way because I know that this sort of storytelling, this sort of premise is way more ubiquitous, not just in fan fiction circles, but mm-hmm. in literature in general. So it is, to me, it, it truly is a matter of taste. Yes, it really comes down to that. And it's not even it's not even really the Harry Potter aspect. If you said like, oh, this is a Percy Jackson yeah. fanfic with this premise... I think I would be having pretty much the same reaction. Yeah. 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 So there's <laughs> there's my show and tell. Okay. Okay. That was a bit... Murph, help me. a bit more filling than... A little... Okay. So I have a small funny thing. Murph, save me. <laughs> okay. So I follow... I did this year, I got really into Street Fighter. Oh. Game released, and it's the first time I've ever really go gone whole hog mm-hmm. on a uh, on a fighting game. I uh, I'm part of the community, and I follow a Twitter account mm. called Scrub Quotes, okay, <laughs> which retweets uh people acting really scrubby in like forums or in the uh, in game chat. Okay, so this is this was posted on the Steam forums for Street Fighter Six. Professional fighting games are a money laundering scheme orchestrated by the bankers. (laughs) The bankers! Streamers and all other faces of the SGC of the FGC are distant relatives to one percenter financers. These tournaments are all rigged. The players are all actors and the prizes are used to mask shady transaction. Epstein Island plane tickets bulk cocaine Adderall purchases, hilt contracts, etc. Nobody in their right mind would really pay out $400,000 plus for Bing Bing Wahoo video games unless they're getting something way more valuable from it. Nobody is ever truly consistently good at Street Fighter. It's literally impossible because the entire game consists of a series of coin flips. Yet these people win often enough to beat 7,000 plus others flipping that same coin. Statistically impossible. Professional games are all a scam. I was deeply upset by the use of Epstein Island plane tickets. (laughs) Don't... Well, you see, he goes on. He goes on! Uh, Because because someone responds... (laughs) Your comments about how people pay out 400k for Bing Bing Wahoo video games is being some kind of money laundering. Well, uh, yeah, Saudi Arabia isn't exactly known for its uncorrupted government officials. 
And the person, the, the, the top, the OP responds, I guarantee top three left that tournament with real-life human slaves, or potentially offered their relatives into slavery in exchange for the prize money. These esports celebrities are not worth idolizing in the slightest. Most people don't, but marketers bought their own streams to make things look more legitimate. Street Fighter VI is too random of a game for anyone to really win more than three, four times in a row realistically. The top echelons of these games commonly require negotiate pot splitting between rounds, and a large portion of semi-grand finals are show fights to entertain the masses. So I need you to come in as an outside force and tell me, is this guy playing? First, I would read this dark romance. <laughs> <laughs> I was sold to a top six Evo winner. Yes. I was sold to Justin Wong. The new generation. I've, I was sold to One Direction. It's actually just Bing Bing Wong video game. Video. Truly, it's my show and tell strictly for the phrase Bing Bing Wong video games. <laughs> Dear listener, I need you to know that my eyes became like the size of dinner plates upon hearing <laughs> video games. Good God. So, first of all, I feel like this is really, really either someone who's really bad at trolling <laughs> or really honestly could use someone to talk to. <laughs> And I don't know which it is, but I just feel really bad for them. <laughs> oh, honey. Here's the last pit I'll read off. Oh, God. So someone responds, this post is insane sounding. You're saying that people cannot be good at video games for this long, and that's objectively false. And OP responds, think about it. Seriously, Think, when was the last time you won more than two or three games in a row in matchmaking? No legitimate player does this, ever, without pot splitting or Twitch mode enabled. Yes, it's real. Search no name 55 on Google with safe search off. Even pro players like Sajam and Brian underscore F use this mod. The entire game is 50 fix 50 mix-up moves. The move either hits or it misses. AKA, you only have a 50% chance of winning. This is why normal people always get washed zero to in tournament pools, while pro players are constantly in semi-finals, grand finals, for absolutely no reason and with no explanation. No reason. No explanation. I'm, oh my god, I can't. This is, oh, this is too much. <laughs> too much. Too much. For me, it's... it is one of those things where I think... I think it's a troll, but also I want to believe because it sort of slides around where it's so ridiculous. It comes back to being believable because there just are people who, you know, yep. <laughs> there's so. things to consider when coming across people who you think might be trolls. My first number one thing is what barriers to understanding am I encountering here? Mm. Uh, uh, maybe this is a me problem maybe this is a user error who knows yeah but <laughs> sometimes I'm just genuinely concerned 
I just love, like, there's literally no way that it's possible for people to be good at this game. <laughs> Next time I watch a Splatoon tournament, I'm going to blame it on the bankers, whoever wins. <laughs> the high rolling squids. <laughs> that, oh, God, that was much better. <laughs> I don't. I don't have much more to say about that. I just, oh, oh god! It's it's the post about. I guarantee top three left the tournament with real life human slaves. That's the part that where I where I where I turned the switch from like troll to like concern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think you well, won I... show and tell. <laughs> I feel mightily shown and told. We hit a lot of different feelings there. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know who I am so anymore. with this in mind, let's move uh, on to the main topic. Let's do it. Get on with it. Quick shout out. This episode will not have uh, one of our wild cards because the wild card is actually being cut out and turned into its own mini-sode where Fru and I will be talking about the new Scott Pilgrim anime on Netflix, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Mm -hmm. But for our main topic this week, we are going to be talking about six, kind of five, five and a half animated pilots that have debuted exclusively to the internet, to usually YouTube or third-party sites. And we're going to be talking about Bee and Puppy Cat, Long Gone Gulch, The Amazing Digital Circus, Has Been Hotel and Hell of a Boss, and Lackadaisy. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of ordered these in sort of an order of like how much we have to say about either. And, you know, the, the, the criteria is very strange and mysterious. But we're going to start with, I believe, the oldest of these, which is going to be Bee and Puppy Cat. Yeah. 2013. Yeah, 2013. This kind of stands out because this was done by a professional studio. This was yes. done by Frederator. Right. Who have done, like, so many Nickelodeon programs. My Life as a Teenage Robot mm -hmm. is the one I remember. Chalk Zone, Fairly Odd Parents. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, you you definitely remember the logo at the end of various things. Like, it would have, like, the, the metallic sounds. The da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Frederator! Yes. But being Puppycat, this kind of came out at the sort of what they called the Cartoon Network Renaissance when we started getting weird shows. Right. Like Adventure Time and Regular Show where it's like, it's almost a normal show, but there's something that's just like off and not in like a Ren and Stimpy way or an Animaniacs way. It's just sort of being written by adults talking to kids, but secretly talking to adults. Would you say? Yes. It's really hard to pin down the tone of cartoons in this era. It's it's a somewhat occasionally mature, I feel like, approach to cartoons of understanding that I feel like kids can handle more, more grown-up subjects. And so, like, Adventure Time, I... I do tell people ever, all the time that I stopped watching Adventure Time by the same creator. Mm -hmm. um, that I stopped watching after the first Lich King arc. Where it is, like, it's dark and it's scary and it's 
Like, there's some actual yeah. harrowing stuff going on there. Like, a lot of these cartoons end up reminding me of, like, that sweet spot in, like, the 80s and 90s where kids' films were scary. Yeah. I Yeah, that's actually a good way of positioning it. So, Bee and Puppycat came from Frederator, and it was posted to, what was it called? Cartoon Hangover. Mm-hmm. Which was a YouTube channel pretty much for posting... And web pilot, like pilot episodes, but sort of putting them out to the public and using that to gauge interest. And this was something that was sort of new at the time, because sometimes you would see pilot episodes for cartoons airing in a programming block. Uh, Nickelodeon famously had like, oh, yeah, cartoons where which was just like a, a programming block where they would just they would call it animated shorts, but they were secretly all pilots. And that's where things like Fairly Odd Parents and My Life as a Teenage Robot like first technically premiered. Mm-hmm. And then once you have a pilot episode, then they kind of gauged interest and greenlit a series. So that's what Cartoon Hangover was. It was for Frederator to put out pilot episodes and sort of pitch them to networks based on how many views they got on YouTube. Right. <clears throat> That's how we got Bee and Puppy Cat. So the basic synopsis for Bee and Puppy Cat, for those who don't know, Quarter Lifer Bee just got fired from her latest job and is wallowing in misery when an interdimensional dog slash cat hybrid named Puppy Cat falls into her lap. Deciding to adopt the creature, Bee finds herself joining Puppy Cat on his cosmic temp work. The job turns from a babysitting gig into a fight for their lives, and Bee realizes she may have a knack for this kind of thing. Plus, it also pays well. I first watched this back in 2013. When was the first time you watched this? I remember seeing this in 2013. Yeah. I definitely remember being in high school still when this came out, because people were sort of, you know, Adventure Time was big amongst high schoolers yeah and so this definitely had that vibe and it's one of those things where i don't know how many times i watched it probably not many but this pilot definitely lingers in my brain like a lot of the phrasings it's a very quotable pilot you know yes lines like like i don't know like i'm shoving the crotch ice under the door i'm shoving the crotch ice under the door uh you took too long now your candy's gone that's what happened or you know things like that yeah it's it's very it's also very tight yes this is the shortest pilot at 10 minutes which is crazy when we get into these other ones which are like half hour long full length you know and yeah so I thought this was so cute. That's the part that lingers is that aesthetically, Mm -hmm. this is the cutest show. And that's what also turned me off from watching the Netflix version because I didn't Mm -hmm. like the redesigns. Yeah. So this did get greenlit pretty quickly. Like I, I knew that this was a pilot because it was put forward Mm -hmm. as a pilot on cartoon hangover, Mm -hmm. but I never really checked in to see when it got a full series. It was. Um, I remember it not being talked up that much. Mm-hmm. It got a Kickstarter, yeah, in 2013, and it passed its funding to do ten six-minute episodes by pretty much the same cast. But then it got turned into a Netflix series in 2016, mm-hmm. which was called Lazy in Space. Right. Which is like, yeah, it's like commenting on B's overall character. I'm assuming her character arc because she is. She's kind of like a slacker loser in the pilot. 
where she mm-hmm. like that whole line with the candy which honestly if i rank that it, it doesn't do it for me ever <laughs> i think it's a funny <laughs> really line don't. it's read very well it just it really does that thing where it does a good job of illustrating a low point for a character where yeah. b is just not paying attention in this job interview for this temp agency and so she just eats the guy like the interviewer's candy when he's not looking (laughs) like she doesn't want to grow and that's a great place for a pilot to be is like look at this character get an idea of who they are because if you have an idea of who they are then you probably have a good idea of where they can go from the start you understand who b is what her relationship like with desmond is deckard shows up for like Deckard, that's it. He shows up for like 30 seconds for a gag where he gets hit in the crotch with an umbrella. But he brought um, her He brought her a lasagna. A lasagna, yeah. Because she lost her job. I want to check something with you on how like tight and concise this is written. What do you think is the timestamp for the line, I got some ice for your crotch? Let's see, that happens in the first half of the pilot. The pilot's like 10 mm-hmm. minutes total. So yeah. I want to say it's like two or three minutes in. It is at the 90 second mark. It is tight. It's very tight. They save all of that narrative room for when things get kooky. Yes. At like like the halfway point and then at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've you've also got the other character, Puppy Cat. And honestly, he always just looked like a cat to me. He just looks like a cat. Like yeah. they show his tail to like illustrate that he's a dog. And I'm like, that just looks like a cat tail. And he's voiced by a Vocaloid. Yes. And he just kind of goes... And they get some good gags out of that, like, when he talks, like, weirdly long for what the subtitle is, like, communicating. That joke, yeah. And, you know, I'm a sucker for that sort of joke. Oh, yeah. And they also make him a bit of a smarmy, a bit of a smarmy guy. Mm -hmm. So I think that really works. But then they get a job to go babysit a goldfish. Right. Who's crying on a planet that's a glass ball made of water. Right. Um, and Puppy Cat tells a story about a space bandit who falls in love with a space princess. Yes. And the the king of space cursed the the bandit into an unnatural form, and the fish they're they're babysitting, like says, "Ah, all according to plan, even," <laughs> and turns into a monster that B then slays. Yes. And you get that cool little hint at the end where Puppy Cat's silhouette on the wall is the same bandit from the story. So you're like, yeah. ah, there's there's hints of what we will learn throughout the show. It's kind of something where if I was like a more nitpicky person, I would be like, why is B being so chill about everything that's happening? And it's like, well, that's just, so a story can happen. That's just how and she also is. This, that's... That's just the vibe of cartoons at the time. Yeah. Like we said, it's like the vibe is just kind of like things just sort of happen, you know, things just sort of happen. And then like the the absurdity in characters just being cool with it. It was very evocative of the time, especially in Natasha's work. It's just so well done. And it's looking at these other pilots. It's so a sign that it was done by a professional studio. It's so realized making pilots. Like, there are just some blink-and-you'll-miss-it gags. Like, I love the thing. She goes to get toys for Puppy Cat, and it's like, I got you a blanket, I got you dog food, cat food, and a pillow. And, like, the blanket and pillow are inexplicably eggplant-themed. Yes! (laughs) 
And that's just... But, like, she also dumpster-dived for those, so you're like, oh, yeah. I think the joke is that they would have ended up in the dumpster because they're weird. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't have much more to say other than the fact of, like, I don't really want to see the series me neither regardless of how that's well reviewed like this really does feel like enough like as just a short 10 minute little animated film yes from what i understand a lot of the diehards say that season one starts off so rocky because they take like all of the shorts because Mm. this show also existed in short form for a long time before the pilot they took all the shorts and the pilot and condensed it into the first three episodes of season one. Mm. Okay. And then you have people who are really mad that like they took out the line about the crotch ice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think we're going to see some fun hints of this moving forward because part of me wonders, did you just have so many expectations that anything would have been subpar? I don't know about that. I think it, because here's the thing the the original series that was exclusive to youtube was 10 episodes Mm -hmm. in shorts and then the full netflix series was 16 the thing is when i like search bee and puppy cat on social media it is almost entirely just clips and gifs from this pilot yes nothing from the full series yeah and that sort of speak that either speaks to the quality of the pilot to the fact people weren't aware there was a full series or to the mediocrity of that series. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's completely fair. Yeah. Especially, again, looking at these redesigns, I'm just not... There's something that looks so, like, cranking up any sort of, like, old school anime and Ghibli references. Mm-hmm. Like, cranking them up to 11. That just doesn't feel like the original show did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The original B design, she looks very, like... She looks like an adult. First of all, she looks like an adult and she also just looks like if you poked her, she would squish like no matter where you poked her, you know, it's a very rounded edges, thin outline art style. And it really works for this. Yeah. And I can't tell exactly what I don't like about the redesigns, but it just feels off. Mm -hmm. Everyone looks like stickers, (laughs) but that's. That that's being puppy cat. It's like in a it's a fully realized thing for a pilot. Yeah. So moving from that, we have another pilot that was also done by industry professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna be talking about Long Gone Gulch. I liked this one. This originally released in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, after a very long development period, this had um so that this was worked on by Tara Billinger of. The Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse, like those oh. very now iconic, very funny Mickey Mouse shorts. That's why it looks um, so familiar. Also, along with her uh, partner, Zach, who has worked on things like Victor and Valentino and Rick and Morty. And they sort of put together Kickstarter in 2016 saying, here's a pitch for like something done in a very classic 2000s cartoon, Long Gone Gold. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, the pilot didn't get made until 2021. And I I've, I've was aware of this in 2016 because I follow some animation people on Twitter and they were like, oh, I can't wait for this to come out. And it just seemed like it was in development forever. So 
basic premise for Long Gone Gulch, in a wacky Wild West setting where anything can happen, our teen heroes are enthusiastic rawhide and punk kid snag. They work as sheriffs in Long Gone Gulch under the much-put-upon Mayor Rhubarb. After quarreling with local bounty hunter B.W., Snag and Rawhide get their sheriff badges revoked, must face life without without what they care most about in the world, just in time for an old enemy to reemerge and take the town by siege. So this is done very much in a late 90s, early 2000s style. There is not a secret ongoing plot here. I said there's something very chowder about this. I can see that. It is definitely very chowder. It's very <laughs> Misadventures of Flapjack. Yes! You know. The art style is so cute. It does remind me so much of, like, Prime Cartoon Network. My issue with this pilot is that it kind of just is what it is. Yeah. And it's not delivering anything more or less. It is delivering that kind of cartoon you remember from your childhood. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of... It, it kind of brought to mind, like, Powerpuff Girls' Villain of the Week stuff, where mm-hmm. it was like, this one was like, oh, there's cow skulls that are possessing people, and it also helps, like, and then, like, there's also, like, the bad guys, like, the the, the sea critters yeah. that were bounty hunters also, I think. I don't know. That's the thing. I couldn't yeah. really get a read on, like, any other characters other than, like, our two main kids who are very cute. Yeah, and this has this has a, a voice cast. Yeah, I was ho- like, holy shit, Elizabeth Daly. <laughs> yeah, voiced by E.G. Daly, who Tommy is Pickles. incredibly prolific, probably best known as, like, yeah, Tommy Pickles, Buttercup Powerpuff Girls. Oh, yeah. Rudy Tabuti on Chalk Zone. Uh, uh, the voices the main character <laughs> in Babe, mm-hmm. Pig in the City. And then you got Snag, who's voiced by my guy Dan- Danny Cooksey, who was who was unproblematic fave Jack Spicer on Shaolin Showdown? I I thought this was really cute, and I like the voice cast. I I, I have also some have some issues, <laughs> and I don't I don't know if it's the direction on the voice work, but something I think E. G. Daly's voice is a little distracting. I kind of yeah, that was the first thing. When I figured out who she was, I didn't see much of a motivation in voicing the character this way. I didn't see much of a connection in the performance mm-hmm. yeah. to just the behavior of the script. I didn't see much of a connection there. Because E. G. Daly's very good at that sort of like prepubescent boy voice which is like a little scratchy and high-pitched and that doesn't really it works really well for buttercup who is like in kindergarten and it just it it sort of works like on paper i get it rawhide is presented as like this rough and tumble character she's she's meant to be a sheriff she's got sheriff teeth sheriff eyes i don't know something about it doesn't quite click for me and that's sort of true for all of the voice like danny cooksey i he's not given a lot with this character of snag i also couldn't figure out why he's a greaser i think he's a greaser for aesthetic but he doesn't fit he doesn't fit into the rest of the world i it's shorthand i was totally fine with that how'd you feel about bw i love her as i was going to get to that because i love her as a concept i love her conceptually that she is a super cool bounty hunter who's like this like older gal in the cast who's like a native woman. She has that different like connection to the setting of mm-hmm. this western town and 
her voice actress does nothing for me. She's voiced by Amber Mid Thunder. Yes. Who would go on to be in Prey. Yes. The the Predator movie set in the old Which West. is awesome. I I just don't think she was directed very well here. No, she's a little she's a little like sort of i'm in your ear yes her audio you sounds know. different from everyone else's and she's doing almost an aubrey plaza thing kind of and i think it's a thing of like the v- here's the thing i wouldn't have minded it because when bw is on screen i can't stop paying attention she's very very magnetic in her design it is very like uh frankie on fairly uh, on foster's home for imaginary friends or like sam on danny phantom where it's like if this had aired in the early 2000s this would be a lot of young boys and girls who didn't realize they are gay like awakening yes you know yes 100 (laughs) percent. like they she's the cool girl she has this awesome like she gets to wear makeup she's super cute she has a great outfit and she is canonically older like she's like an adult woman her voice acting just is uh, I wish it was. I wish there was a little bit more direction there. I wish they went more aloof than mm-hmm. not present. She's just weirdly, she's just weirdly antagonistic right from the beginning. Yes, and it's sort of like, how do you feel about the actual plot as a pilot? Because I'm never certain about a pilot episode where it's like, oh, we've changed the status quo. It's like I don't even know what the status quo is yet. Yeah, you know, I uh... the if. If the premise of the show is Snag and Rawhide are sheriffs of this town, and the pilot episode is they lose their sheriff badges, but they get them right back again at the end. And I want that to happen in every episode, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I want that to happen in every episode because I really like the mayor. (laughs) The mayor is fun. Mayor Rhubarb. The mayor and the villain Mako. Yes, but Mayor Rhubarb is a jackalope, and Mako is a shark for some reason. Um... (laughs) I just like Mako's line of like, now I'm the mayor of the town and every day is my birthday. Yes. (laughs) There's some really good writing in here. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you've got like the surf guitar is like the soundtrack. Yeah. Especially for those like action scenes. But the plot? It's The the plot? It, It just is. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest issue. And I think why it really hasn't caught on is that it's just out of the time it would have been popular that we are so ingrained in our shows having lore and you know an ongoing narrative that you can tune in for this is not a show made for benching this is a villain of the week like anything can happen as long as it's funny type show my huge note at the end of this because i looked up communities and subreddits and tumblers just trying to find communities for every one of these pilots Long Gong Gulch has nothing. There's some posts here and there, but there's not a subreddit. There's no like huge, yeah. gigantic fan tumblers. It, there, there's like no community for this show. And I included it. This is this is the Suicide Squidward of this <laughs> list because I included it because it tends to get included when people like talk about indie animation. When people do fan art of like here are all the the here here's all the the animated pilot characters greeting the new the new hotness Pomni from Amazing Digital Circus, mm-hmm. which we'll get to. And it's like oh, there's Snag and Rawhide in the background. Yeah. But, but who are because they? Because it feels right to include them. It's not a bad pilot. It's not a bad pitch. But it just 
is. Yeah. It's, I think it suffers from a bit of a nothing burger plot in the pilot. It needs some tweaks, but I don't know what they would be is the ultimate issue. Because I kind of sit here being like, is this bad or is it just not for me anymore? Yes. I think the thing that I would want as an adult viewer, and I don't know if I would want if I was a tween viewer, is some kind of overarching background action. Like something mm-hmm. that felt established of like, oh... What's going to happen there? What's going to happen here? If there was like something even in the relationship between Rawhide and Snag that felt like you could explore that over the course of a season, I think it would have felt a little bit more sure on its footing. Kind of reminds me like when that game Ukulele came out. Yes. And that was made by the devs from Banjo and Kazooie and they delivered a Banjo and Kazooie like game nothing updated to like modern gamer preferences or anything like that some people were like yes this is what i wanted and other people were like i was kind of hoping you guys had developed a little more yeah in your game design since then like added something new and what the tweens are watching now are at least at the time that this came out it was like we already had gravity falls Mm -hmm. you know and that was huge we already had adventure time yeah like and it's just a little disappointing for how long this was in the oven yeah to just produce something that's just okay so i was trying to grade these short like grade these these pilots and i like gave b and puppy cat like an a like that's Mm -hmm. an a that's a solid a knocked it out of the park i was really waffling between like an a minus and a b for long gone gold because there's so much about it that's really good but it kind of drags <laughs> let's talk about the new hotness on the uh on the internet yes this is uh, the amazing digital circus came out this year only like a month ago or so and when I say new hotness, this is the new oh, hotness. Oh, it's... This has <laughs> 125 million views on its pilot. It is, it is made for its audience. Made. So, uh, so the basic synopsis. In a glitchy virtual landscape, Jester Pomney finds herself trapped as the newest member of the Amazing Digital Circus. Pomni is introduced to the existing six members of the circus, including its eccentric and slightly malevolent ringmaster Kane. While enacting on one of Kane's fun daily quests, the group find that one of the members, Kofmo the Clown, has become a corrupted monster. Pomni must choose between finding an exit from this vibrant nightmare or staying to save her new home. That is a very boilerplate, like not even really getting into it synopsis because this is like very heavy on the plot. There's so much that it feels like it wants to say. Just Mm. like I do right now. I have a horrible confession to make. (laughs) So, okay, I'll start it. I like Amazing Digital Circus. I was immediately charmed and enchanted by it. And... I think it tries to say a lot because it's trying to be very... Whereas Bee and Puppycat probably had, like, a very simple premise of what they wanted to do from episode to episode, and therefore the pilot's just, like, ten minutes, it's concise. This feels like it has a grander story it wants to tell with this seemingly simple premise, and therefore it's trying to get a lot of terminology and concepts out in the pilot. So, I originally got interested in watching this because the theme song was trending on tiktok 
Okay, and that's how you find everything these days. It is, sadly. Especially even more when my mental health is acting up in these long autumn months. <laughs> but, of course, right around that time, YouTube started shoving it on my fruit, like on my recommendation page every single day that I opened the app. I think this is an amazing idea. It was just my head hurt by the end of this pilot. I just didn't, I felt overwhelmed, overstimulated. I just didn't know what to do. <laughs> Yeah. I think this could be such a good show. I feel like it just really needs someone there to pare it down into a pace. This this has Netflix like hotness for a month written all over it. Yes. This is made for a binge model. And it also just it I think the thing that overstimulated me even more was that it just gave me the like seeing the comments immediately, I was like, "Oh, this is this is big with the kids. Oh, this is this is the new thing for them." This is if you if you are one of the people that like track content farm videos on YouTube, like the stuff where it's like made by AI to include as many SEO terms that are popular as pop- yes. possible. Yes, the amazing digital circus characters are all over that right now when i looked up for reddit communities i had to search through a sea of not safe for work content (laughs) (laughs) a sea of content i was like i don't want to see this (laughs) this isn't what i'm here for why is there so much already And unlike those previous two ones we talked about this one really is like really fully indie I would say, yeah. like, it, you know, very clearly has, like, some people who have worked professionally, mm-hmm. but nothing in, like, no one's really been in, like, a lead creative role, as far as I can tell. And it has a lot of people, like, disparately from the internet that I am aware of, like, Alex Roshan, who voices Kane. Mm-hmm. Like, I watched his YouTube videos back in the 2010s when he made, like, top 10 coolest in-game bosses <laughs> videos. Oh, no. And things like that. Like, I'm so proud of him that he's here. And um, you've got Kevin Tenmer, who makes these really great short digital songs on YouTube. Go look him up. He he makes great videos. Um, He did a lot of the animation. Like, it's... It's a lot. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. So, it's a bit of a high concept. It is that this character, Pomni, who can't remember her real name. No one can. Put on a, a headset, a VR headset. She can't get it off, and she is trapped in this, like, Bing Bing Wahoo video game world. <laughs> and there are other characters who have done the same, and they are trapped. They are at the mercy of this weirdo named Kane. Yeah. It's, and Kane gives them little, like, quests to do that are sort of, like, meant to invoke a villain of the week style, like, format. Yeah. But the participants don't really want to do that because they are way more focused on the fact that they are trapped and can't leave. And there's this this through line, this constant thing brought up of, like, hey, if you let the, the misery and darkness of being trapped here get to you, you are going to turn into a monster. Right. And it's... The term used, it is either obstructed or abstracted. I heard abstracted. I don't know for sure. I heard abstracted. It's the term that the kids have adopted in the fan work. Mm. And it makes sense that, like, you've taken this person and you've abstracted them into a digital creature and now you've abstracted them further. Mm -hmm. We get a feeling of it because Pomni tries to go through a door 
later on, yes. very selfishly. Like, there's a through line in this plot where it's like, Pomni sees a door, she can choose between saving Ragatha, one of the other people, or going through this door. And this exit. This, it's, it's an exit specifically. Exit. Yeah. And she goes through it and she's running through the back rooms. <laughs> It is. It is the back rooms. It is a derelict office space. And she keeps going through exit doors and winding up in different hallways. Yeah. But then that sequence is a little, hmm, to me when it's like she gets into one and she sees a computer that's turned on and she starts laughing manically and then runs back Yeah. through where she came through before. And we see a logo that's like CNA, which my mind immediately went like Cain and Abel. And you didn't know where that was coming from. Again, the whole, I just let the whole pilot happen to me. I thought Cain because he's a ringmaster and he has a cane. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. that makes sense. And so it very clearly has, it dangles this good mystery in front of you. Yeah. Like, who is Kane? What does he know? Because he kind of like comes across like he may not like, yeah, you know, be as in control as he lets on because there's stuff he doesn't know about. And like, you know, where are these characters, mortal bodies? What is going on? What is this place? It kind of feels like the platonic ideal of these creepypasta-ish stories we've been getting of like, it's a children's setting, but secretly there's something dark going on. Like, it's yeah. kind of, it's it's a few steps removed from Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Yeah. Not being quite so explicit about the dark undertones. Right. And it's, okay, so, like, one of the things that I put in my notes, and I think this is one of those where I looked and I'm very curious to see how a full crowdfunded show would go. But as it stands mm -hmm. right now, I'm kind of, like, I feel like the existential horror of the pilot is being very pushed towards the audience. Mm -hmm. Like they they labor it all. They on. really do. And it was like it, it didn't really settle in until Pomni runs through the hallways of the office simulation. And it's like we're still in a simulation. This is all in the computer program. So all of these hallways are dark and dank and scary looking to contrast with the digital mm -hmm. circus. And it just felt very heavy handed to me. In a way where yeah. I think it really could have worked for me. I just, it makes me curious to see. Do you think it would have been better for you had they made that aspect a little more subtle? Like, Pomni shows up and all the other characters treat it as, like, a typical day for them? Rather than leaning into the, like, hey, here's here's them, here's the rules, here's the terminology. It felt it's like a really lore dumpy, where it's like she shows up, yeah. Jax the rabbit makes a quip at her, and starts negging her while they're like, well, you're here, we gotta give you a name, and we're gonna go on it. I mean, if you say that this is supposed to be like a kid show gone wrong, I'm cool. I can deal with that. Yeah. Like, I can suspend my disbelief for that. Really, what I'm looking at is... If Pomni's running through scary hallways, the scary hallways don't have to be dark gray and dimly lit. They can be a normal hallway. <laughs> yeah. That's that's kind of what I'm looking at is like the horror elements can be toned down a little bit. The Gloink Queen is hilarious <laughs> as a villain of the yeah. week. And I think that the idea of a spooky monster with a hundred eyes that is just a glitching black shape. Yeah, is pretty great. Um, I th this is the pilot of the the six we watched that made me laugh the most. Really, because it 
just like uh some of some of the gags are like just kind of out of left field not in that really lol random way but when like when, when Jax is like let's team up uh kinger and tangle they're the most stable characters and it, like cuts over to kinger and his like body is like glitching out like yeah. a source engine model because he's the one that's been here the longest yeah it's just quiet he's just like his limbs are going all over the place yeah. just out of nowhere that made me laugh kinger made me laugh every time when there's just like a little pause and then he realizes like the person in front of him is in front of him and he just shouts ah oh you surprised me i put so at the end just to like gauge my thoughts i like ranked everybody i was like kane good ragatha good kinger good pomni eh i like pomni's design i like pomni's design zubel I like her sad face. Yes. Jax, ugh, is what I put. Jax is a little too, like, I'm made to sell merchandise. I'm mean. Yeah. Zubal, we don't get a lot of. She just gets kidnapped right at the beginning, but you get that she's the snarky one. Yeah. I just, it, it's a really good idea. I love so much about it. I just think there's definitely some tweaking that could happen. To make it even more it's, palatable. It's something where it is so explosively famous right off the bat that I'm very worried that it's going to get, like, corrupted. So, you know? the subreddit, don't go there. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I just put backrooms flashbacks, kids and OCs everywhere. <laughs> and this is what we'll, we'll talk about this in the next, uh, short, the next two pilots we talk about. <laughs> But really, this whole thing of, like, wanting to look at these animated pilots came from me getting sort of mildly obsessed over these fandoms that are built around, like, one episode of a show that does not exist Yes. And speculating endlessly about what that's going to be and already having these elaborate AUs and fanfics about them and all this fan content. I I, I coined the term, one of my famous coinings, Sarlacc fandom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see it that. Is, it is a fandom living off a single piece of content for potentially eons at a time. Like, with Amazing Digital Circus's success, we have not really seen an immediate green light of any capacity. Mm-mm. Like, it's still just sitting out there. And it's not like um, Glitch, which is the YouTube network that this premiered on. Yeah. They have other, like, series. They do. But this is specifically being put forward as a pilot. This is the Which is what we're going to see in the next two shows we talk about. Yeah. This is meant to be picked up by a network. Most likely a streaming service, because like I said, this reads like binge model. Yeah. Storytelling. Absolutely. So, I think this is my second favorite of the ones we looked at. Okay, okay, okay. In terms of as a pilot, because I honestly do see Bee and Puppycat as just a self-contained short film. Yes. This one definitely, yeah, it feels like you need more. But do we want to take a breath and get into the the big, the old hotness? Yeah. So we're going to talk, we're going to talk about Has Been Hotel and Hell of a Boss. Kind of... At the same time, because you can't really talk about one without the other. Originally, this was just the Hasbin Hotel slot, but really, it's hard to talk about Hasbin Hotel without the perplexing existence of Hell of a Boss. Uh, now, I'm going to say at the top, these both these series are steeped 
in controversy, but it's like that controversy where if you weren't there for the beginning, yeah. you have no idea what's going on because it's just a lot of people have problems with the creator Vivzy Pop. Yes, that's and, a that's a huge thing here. But so looking at the basic premise yes. for Has Been Hotel, we'll start with mm-hmm. that and then bleed in Hell of a Boss. Has Been Hotel. Hell is actively overflowing with sinners, leading to constant purges from angels. The daughter of Lucifer, Charlie Morningstar, comes up with a brilliant idea of opening a hotel to rehabilitate fallen souls into becoming people worthy of heaven. With encouragement from her girlfriend, Vaggie, parentheses, I hate that name, she makes the pitch on live TV, which doesn't go according to plan because their star client, gay porn star Angel Dust, gets filmed in an active turf war. Dejected, Vaggie and Charlie return home to find they have a new investor in the form of the sinister Alistair the Radio Demon, who apparently wants to see the hotel thrive for his own personal amusements. So this was big yeah. when it first came out. When I say this was the old hotness before Amazing Digital Circus, this was like the precedent for indie web pilots. Like someone who started an indie animation making their own pilot. And... I followed Vivzy Pop before Hasbin came out. I liked her. She did a animated music video to the uh, Kesha song Die Young, and that's like a, one of my top favorite. Oh my god, that's songs. right. So, yeah. And she had a webcomic that I never read because I think it got nuked. <laughs> um, but she was always pitching, like putting out teasers for, hey, I'm putting together a team to make this pilot for the show Hasbin Hotel. And it was in production for a while. And then. We got, like, trailers. We got merch announcements. We got more trailers. And then the pilot finally came out, and there was sort of this collective feeling of, like, okay, I'm ready for the next episode, without people realizing that, no, that wasn't Hasbin Hotel Episode 1. That's Hasbin Hotel, the pilot. Now we wait. Yeah, now we wait for investors to come in. And so this was where this is where I genesis the term sarlacc fandom because the has-been hotel fandom has been hungry and waiting for the full series for years like it is it is getting in a amazon prime series from a24 debuting 2024 january um the original pilot dropped in 2019 and who knows like the trailer for the pilot dropped in 2018 yeah i remember that yeah but it's like to be picked up by a studio like A24 who is really trying to like champion and become the new indie studio mm-hmm. and then be put out on an Amazon Prime. It's huge. And I just remember at the time, I forget what fucking show. It was Big Mouth. That's what it was. It was Big oh. Mouth had come out. Oh. And people were like, this is what networks and Netflix are going with for animation when there's gorgeous, they're being clowned on by these indie animators in caves with scraps. <laughs> you know? And it's just, I have always just been a little afraid of the Hasbin Hotel fandom for that reason because it's one of those things of like children don't know how production works. Yeah. Yeah, the Hasbin Hotel pilot at the time looked really good. Because they spent, like, five years animating it. You don't get that kind of leeway with a full series. Yeah. The thing I understand to be a huge component of current current drama, modern drama for Hasbin, is that in order to keep interest alive, redesigns have been released of the main cast. And they've they've changed the 
the entire voice cast. And they changed the entire voice cast and released that. So, so all they, the voice cast for the pilot were all, like, indie voice actor friends of Vivzy Pop. And for the full Amazon series, they have been replaced almost entirely with, like, BC-list actors. Yep. Which is, it's really telling. I mean, like, and again, the kids hate it. They really hate it a lot. The fans hate this so much. Like, just that their their precious thing is being taken and changed. But that's what it was always going to be. That's how it has to be. It's a pilot. It's a premise. It's a pitch. Yeah. And I think people just got really spoiled by their favorite animators on YouTube just doing series, you know, apropos of being a bigger studio or anything, you know? Yeah. So that being said, what do you think of this pilot? I it's a lot. <laughs> I think looking at it then, it was underwhelming mm-hmm. because it had that long buildup to it finally coming out. And looking at it now, like with all the fatigue, I'm just deeply frustrated and confused by it. You know? Yeah, I never I didn't watch this back in 2019 i haven't followed it really i i saw i always saw it get recommended to me i looked at the animation style i'm like not for me i've watched clips and i'm like the animation's Mm -hmm. not for me i just think i'm not going to enjoy watching it visually and so this sitting down and watching it for the show this was my first time ever watching has been hotel i it's it's a lot here's the thing it's not a good pilot because it does not sell me on the idea of what a typical episode would look like i have no idea what this show would be this is written as here is episode one of an ongoing show kind of in the same way as amazing digital circus but amazing digital circus i at least get what a typical episode would look like. Yes. You know, you would have your quest of the week from Kane, and then you would have some background, like, investigation to the ongoing narrative of what's going on. Here, it's like, okay, is... Because it's a hotel for sinners being rehabilitated, is it, like, episode of the week, they get a new guest, they attempt to rehabilitate them? That's what I assumed. But, like, I just don't know, because... The episode is almost entirely built around for the main for the starters. We don't see Charlie until like a good while into the pilot. Like she it, opens it with a song. It starts with Angel Dust, and that tells you exactly where Viv's head is. <laughs> yeah, Angel Dust is fine, I guess. I just there's mm, I feel like so much of the show is like it's very hot topic. Naughty to be naughty. Yeah, it's naughty but it's not sexy. It's not it's... even like I guess I don't know. I I feel desensitized to everything. But it's like mm-hmm. I, I got a chuckle out of like vending machines full of drugs. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's funny. That that's that's kind of it though, but it was like every and there was one other joke and dang it, it was <sighs> You know what? No, I can justify this because it's Angel Dust responding to getting punched where he says, oh, like, harder daddy. And he gets a response, son. I, no, I, I won't give you, I don't like that joke. I, nope, that one That's, got me. I was like, <laughs> okay. Okay, here, no, I'll show my, the one I laughed at was, um, like, the two news anchors and what, like, oh, the, the turf war is being led by, by Angel Dust. And, like, the male one goes, like, oh, you mean the gay porn star? And the female co-host turns to him and says, you fucking would, Tom. <laughs> I couldn't handle the, the, the anger when, oh my god, she meets Charlie and she's just like, 
I don't shake hands. I don't touch the gaze. And then, like, immediately mm. touches, like, touches her the moment the interview starts. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, watching this now, I'm just wondering, it just feels, like, dense with lore that I shouldn't care about, but I do because it's integral to understanding the premise. Like, what does it mean to be killed in hell? I don't know. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's like the Catholic in me is dying. Because I'm like, what do you mean rehabilitating people in hell? Hell is the final answer. You were supposed to go to purgatory and then go to hell. Yeah, so hell's too full. So heaven sends down these angels. And you only really see these angels for like a blink and you miss it section at the beginning. They are more prominently featured in the trailers. Um, But the angels come down and they purge the souls to make room for more sinners and that opens up hell to turf wars like the one angel dust gets involved it's in so and charlie can't bear to see people die so she wants to rehabilitate and she people. gets a song she gets two she songs. does get two songs and her voice actress is very good at singing it's not the same oh it's not no so i challenged myself also so i didn't i tried not to i, I tried to quiz myself on what everyone's names were in all these shows, but also I didn't look at any content, any official content outside of just the pilots. That's where it kind of like this aspect of the fandom waited so long for a full series that they were just pestering Viv Z for like details. Yeah. And she she does art streams to like promote the series and promote her work and promote her studio that she founded. And she would just answer questions. You know, and being like, oh, here's a character we're going to see down the line. And people would just be, start making fan art of that character. Uh. You know, and it just, you know, looking at the thing from the outside, it, all the drama, drama around Vivzi as a person, I, I, I ultimately don't care about. It It seems like it boils down to she has a very, like, edgy, cringe sense of humor and can't stop tweeting. And also, like, and, as far as I can tell, also can't really take criticism. A yeah. little bit of that. Yeah, and that's part of the can't stop tweeting. Ugh. She she responds to criticism in a very forceful way, and that puts people off. Yeah. Um, Has she ever explained why Charlie's girlfriend's name is Vaggy? It's short for Vagatha. But what's Vagatha? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a real name. I Other than yeah. supposed to sound like it, it's supposed to allude to the vagine. Maybe. Because she's a lesbian. Because they're gay. <laughs> they're, they're gay. Uh, well, see, that's, the, like, down... And because it's indie, they really wanted to lean into, like, this diversifying and representation thing. Some of it feels really and performative. So Vaggie's like, a lesbian. Charlie's bisexual. Angel Dust is gay. Alistair is confirmed asexual for some reason. You know? Well, yeah, and it's... And it's- the- you remember the little the little wolf bat critter that Alistair pulls out at the end to run the bar? Nifty. No. The other oh, one. Uh, husk? Husk, yeah. So they confirmed he's pansexual. Why? I don't care. I don't know him. <laughs> I don't know this man. I <laughs> Okay, what, but in the Amazon series, he's going to be voiced by Keith David. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just... The main action of Charlie doing the pitch and the big musical number at the radio station, at, at the television studio, and then they come home and it becomes the Radio Demon show. Yeah, it does. It's a hard cut. I like 
the radio demon conceptually. I like his stupid voice gimmick. So I like I. his voice actor the most. I love him. I love him. I don't... I'm really tired of the, like, literally everyone is advising me not to ask this person for help, and I would never ask this person for help, but I really need him. And that's, like, I, the whole thing. I am fine with that because that... It's... That is ultimately Charlie's, like, point, is that no one is beyond redemption, so if she turns away this clearly evil, sinister guy, she's sort of admitting that no one can be redeemed. And I think if the episode was actually built around that, Mm -hmm. as a premise, uh, rather than him turning up at the end and being like, hello, I'm... I'm part of the show now, you know? Here's two more characters for you to suddenly... And he pulls out two more characters out of nowhere. He's like, this this needs someone to manage the bar. And he pulls out Husk. And he's like, you need someone to clean up the place. And he pulls out Nifty. And it's like, okay. These exist now. they're core cast members, why are they getting introduced in this way? In the last you know? five minutes of the episode. <laughs> There's also this really long, in a different art style sequence of Vaggy explaining who the radio demon is yeah and that he's really scary and powerful it's like i didn't need that because i get it from how other characters are talking about him and also at the very end he just kills that guy yeah i just okay so like also that whole exchange with charlie and the radio demon and i i told you i was like something about charlie is very much so rapunzel from taken tangled she's like very like permanent optimist blonde sings Mm -hmm. her hair takes place like in like when she sings her hair is all over the place oh my god that's like the money shot of the musical numbers her hair going all over the place yeah it's i don't know it's and also yeah that's a great point about the hair because like okay i figured out what i don't like visually about viv's style because i think she draws beautiful characters Mm-hmm. They look great in stills. They yeah. look horrible in motion to me. Yeah, I, I I would cop to that. Yeah. And I've seen, like, people criticizing, like, oh, all the characters look the same. And I'm like, eh, no, it's all, that's because it's in an art style, bro. Yeah, you it's, know? and also, like, sure, there's some part of that there where it is like, oh, well, all the characters are tall and skinny. And it's like, mm-hmm. that can be, that that absolutely can be. I think there's bigger fish to fry than than that my huge issue is like these characters are so hard to look at in motion and the like whole show is so dark (laughs) like the backgrounds are dark and busy how do you feel about sound effects (sighs) there are a lot of sound like really go back to the pilot and listen yeah like like the johnny test whip crack meme yes all over this yes that was in every motion every motion has some sort of like or creak or like bone cracking sound people squeak when they're poked and that's not in the because they would they release some like early finished scenes Mm -hmm. and those sound effects aren't there and it's like flows way better and it's less distracting in the main pilot someone went ham with the sound it's almost overproduced yes i would say it's very overproduced and it's like you know i think that's a matter of like overcompensating for the indie animation aspect, they really wanted to impress and bowl over people because this was meant to be like our champion, our indie web animated champion. This was supposed to be our baby. I will say my favorite post from the subreddit. 
was first, of course, I looked at like the top of all, like top posts of all time, everything like that. Like what's hot now? What are people mm-hmm. talking about? But I also looked at the most controversial posts. <laughs> and how'd that work out for you? Some, someone made a really fun argument for, um, of all the studios to pick up has been for Disney plus to pick up has been and they were like oh just put an adult rating on it and then also that way charlie can be a disney princess and and i'm like please please stop please stop there's no that's not, you're looking at this the wrong way friend none of these are how these things work yeah mm-hmm. moving moving on slightly yes ever so slightly, slightly. so so like i said the pilot came out and people were like okay where's episode two you know mm-hmm. and we waited so long for the full series, but then inexplicably, the same no, only one year later, Viv Vivzy Pop on her YouTube channel starts advertising like, and here's the trailer for the spin-off to Has Been Hotel, Hell of a Boss. And another show. It's like, <laughs> it's like, why is there a spin-off to a show that doesn't exist yet? And it's like, oh, this is well, clearly we're gonna get picked up. <laughs> but then Hell of a Boss comes out. And it immediately becomes a series. Yeah, crowdfunded. Made and f- yeah, made and crowdfunded by Vivzy's animation studio. And it it became a full series. It's still getting episodes. It has three seasons. And it's kind of like, why didn't you do this with Hasbin Hotel if that is your baby? Yeah. You know? I'm still confused. So, as I understand it, Hasbin Hotel was meant to be, like, for lack of a better word, the prestige show. Mm-hmm. It's the one that they they really wanted to get the studio funding for. Hell of a Boss was just, like, something done to maintain interest in the studio and to keep eyes on the Hasbin Hotel extended universe. Which is inexplicable because it still has some very big names behind it. Which is inexplicable because I loved this pilot. (laughs) Yeah, so the pilot and pitch for Hell of a Boss... Set in the same version of Hell as Hasbin Hotel, the demonic imp agency, led by Blitzo, holds a meeting to create a new ad for their unique services. Blitzo has a magical book that allows them to travel to the mortal world on behalf of their clients to enact revenge on people that wronged them in life. There is actually not much here in terms of plot. (laughs) I mean, I feel like for me that's all I needed. Was just it, it? It's the long gone Gulch thing of like this is this is not a series with plots. This is this is an issue of the week type show. Yes, yes, for sure. That this is this is something that's not like we're gonna have a different mission every week. You've got Invader Zim himself as one of the characters in this show as Moxie. He steals it for me. You got Erica Lindbeck as the the wolf thing. Yeah. I am cool with this premise, and I accidentally watched the first episode thinking it was the pilot. Oh, okay. And I, I was like, "This is a, this is a very good pilot." And I was like, "Oh no, that's that's episode one." Oops. But it sells the premise. It's this this agency in hell. They are contracted by other demons to be like, I, I was a good person in life, but my husband cheated on me, so I killed him. I want you to go back to the mortal world and enact revenge on the woman he cheated on me with. You know? Yeah. And I guess this is where I'll just bring up, because I had to do so much diving into the lore to try and better understand the controversy around both of these shows. Mm-hmm. But Vivzy Pops and Concept of Hell, which is basically hell is other people. 
Right. Hell is only a bad place because that's where all the bad people are. And sometimes it's unfair and the, the what qualifies as a sin is draconian and that's where you wind up. That's a huge justification for everything in both of these shows is like, oh, I don't like how the character did this. I don't like how the character did that. And the, all I see in response is, well, they're literally in hell. Yes. And I'm like, okay, thank you for not engaging with the point at all. But <laughs> but it just leads to some weird things. Like, I know from the outside, like, just trying to research Hell of a Boss, that, like, recent episodes have had, like, some really, like, shown, like, really good redeemable characters. And then it's like, well, if there are good people in Hell, why why is Charlie's Hasman Hotel a laughingstock, you know? A, a, the most recent episode... It features, I, I watched a bit of this because it had some big, like, singers attached to it, pop stars right. doing musical numbers. But, like, it's about a performer in hell, and there's a sequence where he's on a red carpet, and a little kid comes up to him, and the kid is deaf, and they sign at each other. Oh. And it's meant to be wholesome, but from the outside, you're like, why is there a deaf kid in hell? Yeah. What did he do? <laughs> right? What did he do? Insider and trading. The answer is is that he he wasn't he wasn't a person. He was born in hell, like Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's like if you need to understand that, there's just a lot that's sticky with this premise. You know, I I shouldn't have to watch the creator's art stream. No. To understand the basic like premise, the the moral premise of these shows. You know. Yes the themes because at the end of the day both these shows are are raunchy screwball comedies where where characters say the naughty f word a lot i also didn't need just this is just me watching the pilot i don't i don't need like a passing mention in like some vague understanding that blitzo is boinking the bad guy benevolent bad guy (laughs) malevolent Stolen. Yeah, I, I I I liked that joke. <laughs> that made me laugh. I I like gratuitous censoring. Well, yeah, no, like there is that. It's just like as a as a device itself. It's like I don't know if I need that. And apparently, it's mm-hmm. so much of the show. And I'm like, yeah, wow, wow, okay. In episode one, they do a redux of that joke. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um. Also, I don't like Luna. You, it, Luna's a very. You see the character Luna, and you're like, mm, Vivzy, you haven't left behind your uh, furry day. Well, just you'll take one look at her. She doesn't fit visually whatsoever. Yeah. She doesn't like. Uh, it, I was so taken out the second I looked at her, and I'm like, and she's your she's Blitzo's adopted daughter. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna. I'm rolling with it. I'm rolling with it. I'm okay. And then now I'm like, As a- uh, I look at vague comments in the community and just pull pieces of lore, and I'm like, wait, she's a human. Why? Why? What happens? Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. And I don't know what took place between the pilot and now. It just seems like lunacy. Like I said, the the controversy and the fandom just are so impenetrable at this point. I. It's intimidating, honestly. So, like, this pilot made me laugh. I liked the song. It kind of has the the opposite problem of Has Been Hotel, where I immediately get, like, 
the the premise, the character dynamics, everything. I am here for it. It made me laugh. I don't think it's a good like pilot though. Yeah. Because of how it's just the basic like synopsis of of the pilot is they are in a boardroom and they're sort of reminiscing about past jobs to a degree mm-hmm. or you know it's like flashbacks it's like the characters uh moxie and millie being like blitzo stop following us home and like i don't get that and it just shows a bunch of like clips of blitzo following them home it's a weird and i joke. don't get what the joke is there but then there's a flashback within a flashback did you did you catch that? No. Because they're talking about, like, oh, Luna doesn't do anything. And it's, like, a flashback of, like, Luna doing, like, eating people's lunches. And she, like, then it's, and then, like, one of the clips is her taking a call from Stolas, who we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And then Blitzo's like, don't don't tell him I'm here. Already connected him to your phone. And then Blitzo answers the phone and Stolas starts talking. And then it's a flashback to when Stolas and Blitzo met and how he got the book. Ugh. And then it and then it cuts out of that flashback to back to the flashback we were in and then back to present day. Oh my god. Yeah, I did not remember that at all. It's it's blink and you'll miss it, but when you're actually like paying attention, you're like, wait, hold on. Are we are you incepting me? What's going on here? <laughs> so yeah, I I think that might be why I like I watched it after Has Been Hotel. Of course, mm-hmm. I think I just enjoyed that it was simpler and had Richard Horvitz in it. It plays it safer premise-wise, while also still keeping to the aesthetic and, like, raunchy comedy mm-hmm. that was present in Has Been Hotel. Yes. And, like I said, it's just something where it's like, the existence of Hell of a Boss makes me so perplexed at why it took so long for Has Been Hotel to get picked up, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you were paying attention to Vivzy Pop's, like, content creation around the time they were working on Hasbin Hotel, it's like, have Vivzy's like, this is my, this is a project I have wanted to do for years. You go back to the very first video on her YouTube channel, like, in early 2010s when she's still in college, it is a speed drawing of Angel Dust. Good grief. Yeah. She has had this premise in mind for a long time, and she makes the pilot... And then it seems like all her time and resources go into making the spinoff. And that's, you know, probably not how it... it, But that's how it looks. Yeah, that's what it looks like from the outside. Is that she makes the pilot for for her magnum opus and then just sort of fucks off and makes this other show, you know? (laughs) Yeah, which feels like a really simplistic way of putting it, but... But that's how it looks, and that's why I, I sort of lost interest in getting excited for has been hotel way back in the day yeah so i was like well is this happening or not well and it's really weird because again i didn't interact with has been hotel in 2019 at all to a degree like 2021 rolls around i'm like convinced that like i come across hell of a boss and has been hotel and i'm convinced it's the other way around that has been is a spinoff of hell of a boss hmm yeah and it was like, again, and it just kind of like laid dormant in the back of my head because, again, neither of these things visually looked like they were anything I was interested in. And so finding out, yeah. like, doing research for this, I was like, oh, it was has been first. It Then it was hell of a boss. And it happened because of these reasons, which are confusing, but I'm going to let you do what you need to do. <laughs> I 
I have, I have no interest in either of these projects right now. Yeah, but it is interesting that it even pops up in other properties. Okay, is that our segue? It could be. Do you, I mean, I guess it. I guess it begs the question: Which did you prefer, the pilot for Has Been or the pilot for Helova? I guess Helova. I get Helova Boss. I think is. I guess it is my third or fourth favorite of the pilots we watched mm-hmm. just because it did make me laugh it is snappy yeah but of these two of these two no has been is kind of at the bottom it's the opposite problem of long gone gulch where like i'm i am intrigued by the premise and i think a good writer behind it would be able to do something but it's not a good pilot whereas long gone gulch is a good pilot i'm zero interest in the premise yep and that them's the break so let's move on to it let's end on a high note yes we're gonna talk about uh the old new hotness lackadaisy yes also this year mm-hmm. yeah very early this year so this is technically like on wikipedia this is marked as a film yes i saw that too because it was it was they said it's a short film and Lackadaisy is based on a very famous, prolific webcomic of the same name, known for these incredibly detailed, sepia-toned drawings. Mm-hmm. Like any, it's one of those things where like any page of Lackadaisy is like a piece, a work of art. And it, it concluded. I, I don't remember exactly when it concluded. I never read it. I always saw like pages out of context and things like that. But this. The creator was like, I want to make a little animated film to, like, celebrate comic. And it's just going to be a little slice of life before really, like, the events of the comic. Um, And they crowdfunded it, and they shot over their estimate. And they were like, okay, the the short film is now, like, a backdoor pilot. So that's what we got. So the synopsis is, in a cat-populated 1927 St. Louis... The lackadaisy speakeasy has fallen on hard times after the death of its owner, Atlas. Attempting to lighten the load, eccentric Rocky, spunky Ivy, and timid Freckles venture to a secret stash of Canadian whiskey. Their mission seems a success until a hit squad from a rival mafia zeroes in on them, creating a life-or-death chase in an abandoned quarry. So how'd you feel about lackadaisy? I loved it. This was so good. It's so good. It is so effortlessly good right from the beginning. Having never... I I didn't know about the webcomic at all. I didn't know about anything about this property at all whatsoever. It was, like, just those opening moments of, like, seeing, like, Rocky and his fiddle in the night. Like, it was just very engrossing right away. Mm -hmm. And it just... This is very different from the other pilots because... Just, like, tonally, this isn't really, like, a gag-oriented, like, pilot, right? Like, it's still funny. Yeah. But it's not really, like, so much... It's not wacky. But it's exciting. It's exciting. All all the characters are cats. Yeah. And that's just really... That's just an aesthetic choice more than anything. Like, they do some gags with it. Like, I like when Freckles is offered the shot of whiskey, and he, like... Does the cat thing. Yeah. (laughs) I loved that, too. It's... 
Uh, the art the... style, it flows. It, it reminds me of like nine, no, 80s Disney animation when they had the sketchy yes. style. Yes. Like Oliver and Company and uh, Jungle Book, where you can see like the traces of the outlines for the animation style. Oh, yeah. Like even more so here. Like it almost feels like an artistic choice, and I really appreciate it for that. Mm hmm. And like you got the character, the characters are immediately identifiable. Yes. What they are. Rocky is crazy. He's the he's the ragamuffin. Like, yeah. But then you've got Ivy and she's like, I, I never said I knew how to drive. I just said I would drive. She's the spunky girl. You know? Yeah. It's just, and Freckle uh, is my favorite. You like Freckles, yeah. He, he's, I, I, I can see. He, he's a he's an Ophi guy, and then they like ignite his bloodlust halfway through. Yeah, he has bloodlust, which is terrifying and great the character writing is so laser focused that it's like no this is a line for rocky this is a line for mordecai and i think part of that comes from having such an established source because this is this was written by the webcomic creator and it is like set before the events of that comic so she already has an idea yeah of who the characters are and where they're going but this does this isn't done in a way where I feel like I am missing out by not reading the webcomic. Right. It feels very self-contained because it is just a little life or death chase in a shootout with with a with a prohibition theme and the the danger feels real like the shootout between Mordecai and Freckles. Yes. Where like Mordecai's like counting his shots. Yes, I loved that part. Like there was an actual like you displayed how sharp and smart and cunning and terrifying the villain of this show is. Mm-hmm. But also how resourceful and, like, loose cannon, you know, Rocky is as a hero. Yeah, how scrappy our protagonists are. That they really do, like, win by the skin of their teeth and happenstance. They get, like, one bottle of whiskey back to the speakeasy. <laughs> I And I don't know if this is, like... I feel so bad about that. <laughs> I, it's so I sad. It's so sad. Like, they're clearly like, we almost died. Here you go. And we brought back one bottle of whiskey for all the, all the costs. We destroyed the car. We fomented a deadly rivalry. And it's not even clear on whether or not the whiskey's any good. <laughs> it tastes like coffin varnish. Yep. Which I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, and the music's great. And it does do... You know, we ragged on Hasbin Hotel for being, like, at the very end, here's five more Blorbos to enjoy. Yeah. And Lackadaisy does the same thing, but it doesn't feel like we're being shown Blorbos. It doesn't feel like we have missed out on, like, oops, we forgot to introduce main characters. No, because they're not manifested literally out of thin air. <laughs> they exist <laughs> yeah. at the speakeasy as employees there and like their 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 presence makes sense it feels justified yeah and again because you get a scene of just them talking to each other before our core cast enters so you get what their relationships are and who they are who who's you said you liked freckles yeah but also i'm cheating because i totally got all the names from the wikipedia i didn't remember anyone's names It's so, That's like, fair. I put... Especially at the end when they introduce all those extra characters. Who is everyone? Like, I put, yeah, this one's gorgeous. I see a plot forward. Like, who's that guy? Do the orange and black cat get married? Dean get to boink and get married and have children. Because <laughs> I yeah. really like them together. Like, I already have really... Also, I like Aja, the, 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 the lady that runs the speakeasy. 
Yeah. The the the, the curvy cat. Mm-hmm. I think she she's really great. She's a very nice voice actress. Yes. Um and this is another like voice cast where it's mostly unknowns. Um the main thing of note is the voice of Mordecai is Sun Wancho. Yes, I saw that. The Pro Z D. Because he got his start on YouTube. He rose to fame doing dubs of Mordecai scenes from the comic. Which is crazy. So it's, you know, it comes full circle like that. Yeah, and it's, like, also good for him because I couldn't even tell. Like, there was enough Mm -hmm. direction and there was enough performance in there that I couldn't even tell it was him. And that that was just a really pleasant surprise in the credits. We talked so long about Has Been in Hell of a Boss I just don't know what there is to say about Lackadaisy other than it's good. You should really go watch it. Here, would you like me to read my favorite post from the subreddit? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It's titled, This was fun, but what was the point? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. First of all, let me say this. It's clear that they put a lot of time and effort into making this pilot. But it just feels hollow, becomes boring, and falls flat in the end. As beautiful as the animation and action pieces were, there wasn't much to this pilot as I would have liked. The plot is just a heist gone wrong. The owner of a bar, I don't know what it is, wants this rare liquor for her bar, and they are interrupted by other people who presumably want the same liquor. Okay, that's cool, but why do I care about all this? The lady wants her bar to get back to its farmer glory? That's neat and emotional, but what about the main trio? I know this is work for them, but what's their place in all this? What's their history? How did they end up here? I just wanted a bit more emotion as to why this hap- why this is happening, so I care for the tension being built. The characters, they're fun and there are two who are potentially interesting, but nothing else. They don't excel or subverse any of the character archetypes. They are likable, but nothing more. Again, why do I care about these people? The only standout for the or for the episode for me was Mordecai. He was a cool villain and an imposing force. He seems to have a backstory relating to the main characters or the bar lady. I'm interested in what role he'll play in the story. It's not unique, not particularly intriguing, fun and enjoyable, but not much else. I don't understand why everyone is praising it so much around YouTube outside of the beautiful animation. To everyone who enjoyed it and think it's the next new big web cartoon, then good for you. I genuinely hope that you keep supporting this project and that you are having a good day, but for me it was just unbelievably boring. I want you to know... That what you just read to me inflicted way more mental damage than anything you told me about Manacled. Honey, I don't know how to explain the prohibition to you. <laughs> are we are we at that stage where it's been a hundred years, kids don't know about the prohibition? What was the last good prohibition movie, I guess? <laughs> Boardwalk Empire? I, and this, the, the weird thing is that no one, no one brings that up at all. Where they're like, "Do you not know what the prohibition is?" Because <laughs> it's <laughs> like you missed half the premise. It's very laid out. Like you're supposed to see 1927 St. Louis. You're like, "Oh, these are bootleggers." Like, yeah. <laughs> what is a rare? What is a rare liquor? <laughs> 
It's not rare, it just exists, and that's why they need it. <laughs> why do you not know if it's a bar? <laughs> it's there's a bar and a man can, standing behind the bar. How can be a bar, bar if it has stage? <laughs> I just there's so many of these things here. Where I'm like, I don't know how to quickly and efficiently teach you media literacy. <laughs> it's shorthand, baby. <laughs> Also, I just love how it's like, you went all in, like, no one here is interesting. No one's cool. It's like, okay, cool. Those are opinions. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sorry that you only found, I guess, just the villain, because you said that there's two potentially interesting characters, and then only named one. (laughs) I Uh, loved this piece so much. I loved Lackadaisy. I want to watch it again and again, but I'm afraid that I'm going to burn out before we ever get a actual show. So, we do know that because, like I said, this was made as like a short film, mm-hmm. as like something for the fans. Yeah. But then the response to sort of even before the pilot came out, sort of the buzz around the pilot, like, oh, we you've got Sun Wong Cho coming in he's really known for those mordecai dubs and like just the production everything around it Mm -hmm. the the like the music they composed just for it which is really great um they were like okay let's see if people are interested in like this being like a full series so they did do a kickstarter Mm -hmm. to like fund a full season and they were like it's gotta be like ballpark a million dollars to do a full five episode season. Okay. It closed with two million dollars in two million eight thousand dollars. <laughs> so what do we get now? So they funded a full five episode season. It is set to debut in twenty twenty four. We don't have like a month or date. Okay. They're also going to release three additional mini episodes, sort of self contained like the pilot. Mm-hmm. And a Blu-ray set. Oh my god! Of all the anim, like all the animated products together. I love it. So it's it, it you know contrast to has been in Helleva. It's like very professional and upfront about like what what you are getting by like you know investing in this. And I don't think it's being like it's not really like the critical role series where they did like a pitch like a kickstarter for like a episode of a critical role animated series and then like all the then amazon came in and be like we'll fund the full thing yeah you know i think this is still very much being done in-house by the same animators that did the pilot episode which is incredibly cool Already, considering just how beautiful the pilot is. This five-episode series, like, matches, like, the quality of the pilot. This this could be something worth remembering. It really you know? could be. And I really keep meaning to read Lackadaisy. I, I, I'm tempted to. I'm afraid it's going to inform my viewing of the eventual show too much. Yeah, I think the issue is the last couple times I tried reading it, the website was under maintenance because it had the um, homestuck issue of a few of the comics being like flash embeds. That's how I lost my favorite webcomic. Oh, Flash. 
Why would you kill so many creators? But yeah, and you can even see the the teaser for season one is currently out on their uh, YouTube channel. I did watch that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> because I thought it was fan content. It was not. It was actually really good. Mm-hmm. I'm just very excited for that show. Yeah, so, so pulling back, looking at all of these as a whole, question I really want to ask you. Which one had your favorite Michael Kovach performance? <laughs> Tell me yours first. <laughs> I, it's Jax from Amazing Digital Circus. Why would he you, sells? Why it. would you do that to me? <laughs> so for those who don't get what the gag here is, Michael Kovach is an indie voice actor. Uh, he is over quite a few of these pilots and just indie animation in general. There was something where it was like, here are the most viewed animated shorts on youtube and michael kovach is in like seven out of ten of them yeah but he's rocky and lackadaisy he's jacks amazing digital circus he's angel dust and has been hotel i forget who he plays in hell of a boss i mean i'm just gonna be I, i'm just gonna go as like above board as possible no it's lackadaisy it's it's lackadaisy <laughs> there's not much there's not much to rocky in terms of performance needed but he, he, it he kind of is because you have to sell this idea that this dude's a little off, but he's still like people go with him because he's got the charisma. Yes. Yes. And he does. He brings the charisma and it's not as I feel like it's not as pushed. It's not as forward. I don't know. If I'm hanging out with you and you suddenly like get buzzed, you start freestyling poetry. <laughs> He's uh, yeah. he's a quirky kid. He's got theater kid energy. You big theater kid energy. <laughs> um okay, so the real question is how how do you feel about indie animation right now looking at these because for a while there you two you kind of had to put these out on YouTube. Yeah. Unless you were partnered with Verve, at which point you're not really like you don't have that scrappy web animator quality, I guess. Right. But YouTube was like, animation isn't profitable because people don't watch longer animated products. And it's like, there's not, there are fewer longer animated products on YouTube. And that's kind of the issue. Yeah. Like looking at these in in chronologically, there's a trajectory leading up to the release of Amazing Digital Circus. Mm -hmm. And that trajectory is very much so like, oh, indie animation is really following like these passion projects. You know, they all typically follow some like there's there's things there's through lines that you can see running through all of them the thing other than just like amazing digital circus being the only 3d animated one of these other than that it's like it's so evocative the thing that i recognized immediately was in my head i thought oh my god someone made a full length like pilot off of those animation samples i see on tiktok all the time or animation (laughs) sample like compilations from like full sale in usc film school students on youtube it was so evocative of like just this idea of early pixar which feels very big but early pixar was like really grungy and like small Mm -hmm. and so this felt very like we're reaching we're at a point in internet history where like we're seeing a new era i think of indie animation yeah where you do have something like bee and puppy cat 10 years ago which feels very much so like oh this is a studio thing that would be on a network and it just happens to be 
debuted online. Yeah. And then now we're here where, like, Amazing Digital Circus is so of the internet, literally crafted for the internet. And if it ends up on a network, I don't know how that's going to translate. Yeah, it's something where it gives you hope Mm -hmm. for, like, the future of creatives, especially as, like, you know, studios are becoming so driven by metrics. Mm Mm-hmm you know, and, and the algorithm Mm -hmm. and things like that, you know, seeing these, these things that are passion projects, like even the ones we didn't like, they are passion projects. They took forever to come out because the creators had a vision. And that's why I think people like to post gifs of Lackadaisy or Hasman Hotel or Amazing Digital Circus, and then post a gif of like Big Mouth or friggin' like Border Town USA or whatever, like sort of Seth MacFarlane thing and being like, hey, here's what happens when you have animation with passion and stuff versus corporate slop. It's like, I want to say like, yeah, but also the other part of me that like tries to understand TV production schedules and such and being like, you know, both can exist. Yeah. You know, one is supposed to be just digestible popcorn and the other is meant to be a feast. Yeah. And sometimes you want popcorn. Yeah. That's the huge thing. Because, like, something like, like, Lackadaisy, that's gonna take, that takes time to animate that well. It really you know, does. And the production. And I wonder if we are going to see a noticeable decline in the quality of animation between the pilot and the full series. That oftentimes happens. I feel like it's unavoidable. Like, if you think about, like, you know, things that were pilots from when we were a kid. Like, uh, the one most people know is, like, the Spongebob pilot. Mm-hmm. Which is that very first episode of him getting hired at the Krusty Krab. That episode is, like, very big and bombastic. There's a musical sequence. The animation is really good. And then you actually watch, like, the full, the first, like, syndicated episode. And it's, like, these really, like, doofy short episodes. Mm -hmm. Like, the silent one with Spongebob and the reef blower. And he's sucking up all the water and stuff like that. Squidward's really off-model. He is really scarily off-model in that short. Yeah, he really is. Because they're still figuring it out. A lot of indie web series are just like the creator puts it out when a new episode is ready. Yeah. It's ready when it's ready. And this is not animation, but I think about like abridged series. That's that's what I'm going to use as a a point of reference. Mm -hmm. It's like, when's DBZA episode 58 coming out? When it's finished. Yeah. It's not on a release schedule. Yeah. And that's sort of the different approach here is it's like, when's Has Been Hotel episode two coming out? When it gets picked up for a show and they've created the whole season. It's, I feel like it's that thing where the fans don't always understand what desiring getting picked up by a network means. Mm. That's very different from this is a pilot for a show that we're going to put on crowdfunding. Sometimes the crowdfunding is an extension of the pilot because it's being like, hey, look at how much people crowdfunded, how many people paid to see this product in full. Yeah. And that's when studios can start taking interest. And that's also, like, I don't feel like people always understand that by getting the crowdfunding, that means usually increasing the team. That means introducing more structure, more bureaucracy, more diluting the original passion. Exactly. And I feel like it's such the... It's the cross to bear for the artist of just like, I want to make a living off of my art, but that also means that it has to be, it has to be transformed into capital. And there, there's a lot that goes into that. And I feel like you can only do 
two things at once. You can either be, you can either make a lot of money or you can be, I mean, you can either fast, good. <laughs> yes. Fast, good, and cheap. Yeah, exactly. It's And if you want it fast and good, it won't be cheap. Yep. If you want it good and cheap, it won't be fast. Yep. That's uh, that's the huge thing here. And I feel like people don't keep that in mind, especially young or incredibly passionate fans who are so here for the art, but they want it to remain the art that they became indebted to upon first watch. And they want it to stay yes. that thing forever. It's the exact same thing you see in directors of films who it's like, oh, you changed, you sold out. You're not indie anymore. It's the same thing for artists who get big and you get burnt out on your favorite music artists because you're not making the same music that you did before you lost touch. What does indie mean? That's like the huge thing that we're really getting into is like, what does indie mean? What does moving away from indie mean? And Mm -hmm. I think those are huge conversations that the fandoms aren't always ready to have nor do they even expect them to happen. So maybe we'll check back in later in 2024 when we have our Has-Been Hotel full series and our Lackadaisy full series. And who knows? Maybe maybe Long Gone Gulch will finally get picked up. Oh, fingers crossed. But for now, I think we're going to fade out. I think so. And take our, our thoughts and feelings with us. Mm-hmm. Do you have any final words, Fru? <sighs> the floor is yours. <laughs> Well, that means every. Say what's on your mind. That, that means every time that don't the don't let floor... me hold you back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just not gonna have anything. It's just crickets <laughs> in here. Spotlight syndrome off out the roof. I'm just like, don't look at me. Don't perceive me. <laughs> I'm just here for cartoons and gags. Murph, where can the where can the children find you? Uh, you can find me on my other podcast, the Daydream Cast, where we're r- winding down for the 2023 season. Our, our next and final uh, full episode of the series is going to be on the Donald Duck Genesis game Quackshot. <laughs> and after that, in December, we'll be doing our end-of-the-year wrap-up, our, our top tens and such. And maybe, just maybe, before the end of the year, I'm going to squeak out uh, my, my very first video essay. Ooh! on our youtube channel that remains to be seen i still have to edit the thing and by golly i hate editing (laughs) hate it so much 